So turn with me in your copy of God's Word to, math, or to Romans 5. Uh, it's page 942 on the Bibles in the, in the rows, page 942. Romans 5. We'll be reading 1 through 11. This is our text for Advent. So Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Father, we we come before your word and ask that you would work in our hearts, that you would deepen our affections, that you would grow our joy, you would work for your good, for your glory, and for our good. Lord, unite our hearts to hear your word and to fear your name this morning. And please empower me by your spirit to proclaim truth with clarity. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I don't remember when I first came across this definition for joy. But ever, ever since I did, it's, it's stuck with me in many ways. And that doesn't mean that I consider it often enough or think about it uh, as much as I should, but it is something that when I do and I apply it, I can see the difference in my own life. And, and it's this definition, I've shared it before, it's from Sam Storms, and it's this, that joy is a deep, durable delight in the splendor of God that ruins us for anything else. So it's a deep, durable delight in the splendor of God that ruins us for anything else. Uh, so it's, it's, it's something that's lasting, that's strong, that's powerful, that's even protective in many ways. And there's such a need for this kind of joy in our lives because honestly, there's a great deal of counterfeit joy that parades uh, around seeking to lure in the unsuspecting and the ungrounded. It's a joy that fades and falters and fails every time, perhaps not right away, but it is fleeting. And these counterfeit joys, they, they, they work as well to, to point to the famine in our world and in our own hearts of true biblical joy. So this morning, we continue our Advent series with looking at the third of the traditional themes, and you can figure that out. It's joy. One of my favorite Christmas hymns is Joy to the World. And, and what I love about that is it's not some sappy song with just some happy clappy lyrics throughout, but it's packed full of truth. 
It's a song uh, about the coming of the King, of the Savior who reigns and will remove sin as far as the curse is found. It proclaims amazing news, and that, that song in many ways gives us the recipe for joy. So today we continue to look at Romans 5. We're going to look at other texts as well as we have, and we're going to consider joy. And we'll look at two basic ideas, the source of joy and then the side effects of joy. So the source and the side effects. And, and I hope and pray this morning that, that, that we'll see the power and the, the beauty of joy in the Lord and why rejoicing is such a needed practice in our lives. And it's something worth fighting for. So let's start at verse 1 again. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now here again, we have Paul writing about the truth of the believer's justification, of being pardoned of all sin and accepted as righteous in the sight of God, but only because of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. And that, that work brings about peace. That's one of the fruits of justification is peace, about peace with God. We are by nature children of wrath. That is who we are by nature. Yet because of Christ, because of the love displayed in full in the incarnation and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, our sin is atoned for. And we have peace with God. And with that peace, next we see that we have access to the presence of God. And that peace and that access are permanent. We rest in the grace of God. We rest in the character of God who has given that. And so then from that access and from our justification is a robust and a joyous confidence in the hope of God's glory. Of this robust and joyous confidence of His goodness and, and favorable regard, Paul wrote that we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And that word translated rejoice is normally through, throughout the New Testament translated as boast. We boast in hope of the glory of God, or, or we glory in that. The, one, one translation even translates it as exult, uh, E-X-U, not E-X-A, but exult, which means to, to be extremely joyful. Now, how does a word that normally means boast get translated and, and turned into rejoice? Because normally we think of boast as, as not the greatest thing in the world to do. Now, if you sit and consider it, I think you can start to see it. Re rejoicing or, or, or doing so to the extreme in many ways is a lot like boasting. The idea behind these things are similar. We, we don't boast in something that we don't enjoy. Even if we boast in ourselves, it's because we enjoy ourselves maybe a little bit too much. But we, we, we rejoice in, in that, and, and we boast in what we re rejoice in. And so here, this boasting, this, this rejoicing, it's in the astonishing work of God. It's, it's boasting in, in the Lord's work, and as we boast in Him, we're actually rejoicing in what He's done. We're taking joy in His work, even as we boast and take pride and, and glory in it. Not, not pride in ourselves, but pride in who our God is, and we rejoice in who He is. And so here Paul makes it clear that this, this rejoicing is in hope of the glory of God. Now, we looked at that in the, the first message in our series. Our rejoicing is in that sure hope, that confidence, the solid basis we have for an expectation of being with Christ. Christ, who is our hope of glory, as Colossians 1.27 tells us. 
We have surety in our belief that God's glory will be fully revealed, but also that we will be glorified as believers. We will be renewed in the likeness of our Lord. And, and folks, I, I personally rejoice in that when I consider it. When I, when, when I put it before me and let it sink deep into my affections, that, that I will be transformed, that I am being transformed. I, I just wish that that practice would be more frequent in my own life, that it would be more visible in the day-to-day, because I know how much conformity to Christ I still need. Now, all of this points to our root of joy, to the source. And I realize I've basically stated this every single week, not just in this series, but probably every single week I've been up here. It's what we need to hear. The root of our joy as believers, as Paul has laid it out here, is this. We've been justified by faith, we have peace with God, and we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Now, if you notice, the the verbs in that are all we have. It is our present possession as believers in Christ. We have these things. And it's all the source and root of our joy. Our sins are forgiven. As believers, we are no longer in dread of the wrath of God. We have a righteous standing before the Father because as believers, we are united to Jesus Christ. So it is through Him. It is not in our own work. We have peace with God. There is no more enmity with Him. We can stand before the Father as children, and in particular as children deeply loved. Deeply loved. And that's the source of our joy. But ultimately, our rejoicing is found not in the works of God by themselves, but actually in the God who works those works. That's where our source of joy rests. Look at verse 11. More than that, or you could say, and not only this, but more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Not only do we rejoice in forgiveness and and peace and access, but we rejoice in God. We rejoice in God Himself, the one from whom all these blessings originate. God is our ultimate source of joy. One commentator wrote, Paul now ascends into the highest strain of glorying. For when we glory that God is ours, whatever blessings can be imagined or wished ensue and flow from this fountain. For God is not only the chief of all good things, but also possesses in himself the sum and substance of all blessings. And he becomes ours through Christ. We then attain this by faith, that nothing is wanting to us as to happiness. Nothing is lacking as to happiness or as to joy. That is our joy. We have a perfect source of joy in our God. So then think about the the first question to our shorter catechism. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, probably the most famous catechism question there is. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To enjoy Him. Folks, those two things go hand in hand. Glorifying God and enjoying Him go hand in hand. They are intimately tied together. We boast in who He is and what He's done for us. We rejoice in that. We enjoy Him because of who He is. We rejoice in our God. We just went through a series before. Our God who is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in His being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. 
And so think about that. In his wisdom and by his power and goodness, he vindicated his holiness and upheld his justice by justifying sinners through the gospel of Jesus Christ. By his power and wisdom, he redeems our suffering and our trials. In his goodness, he not only forgives, but he restores our relationship. He reconciles us to him, and he he makes us sons of the living God, sons and daughters. We're children of the living God. Jesus Christ himself is not afraid to call us his brothers. That's amazing. That's the God whom we worship. That's the God who is the source of our joy. And Advent reminds us of the joy that God brings. You know, so, so often throughout Scripture, you see clearly that where God is and where He makes Himself known, where He breaks into history, in the work of salvation, there's joy. Think of the announcements. Luke 2, 10 and 11. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Why? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They were being led to the Savior. Christ's birth was a harbinger of great joy. Where there was news of him, where his presence was, there was joy. At his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, at the start of the last week of his life, we see joy, Luke 19. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And then at his resurrection, Matthew 28, 8, So they departed quickly from the tomb, the empty tomb, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Bringing joy is part of Christ's work. It's part of his mission. John 15, 11. This is Jesus saying, These things I have spoken to you. So as he's talked to them about abiding in him. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. Doesn't sound like a stingy God. Doesn't sound like a God who, who, who wants us to be morose. He, it's a God who wants us to know his joy. John 16, 22 and 24. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And then verse 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. And then John 17, 13. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Christ's life and ministry is about joy. It's bringing us joy, joy that no one can take from us. That which brings us joy never ends. So our God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. He's the one who brings us joy. And we see in the early letters of the church that the believers knew that Christianity is characterized by joy. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul labored for the joy of those to whom he ministered. 2 Corinthians 1, 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. John longed for joy. 
1 John 1, 4, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's writing this letter to the people so that their joy may be complete because he sees that what they learn is of the joy of Christ. And so when he sees that they have joy, it gives them joy too. It's this reciprocal amount of joy. Peter taught this joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Not only is this to be in the church, but this is, joy is going to be with us at the consummation of all things. Revelation 19, 17, 19, 7 actually. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. So when the Lord takes the bride to himself, what, what characterizes that? Rejoicing. Rejoicing, exulting, being tremendously joyful. Folks, in many ways, joy is the fabric of Christianity. Joy is a thread woven throughout our lives. It is to be, at least. If we want to know joy, we have to find it in the right place, though. Because there are many counterfeits. There are many counterfeit joys. A guy I knew in seminary wrote of three kinds of counterfeit joy. First, there's fake joy. Just plain old fake joy. This is joy that people take in sin, where there's a momentary delight, but it poisons the soul. It poisons the soul. It's counterfeit because it's outside the bounds of God's law. God's law that is good for us. God's law that that points us to Him. God's law that that helps us come into conformity with who He is. And then there's fickle joy. This is the joy of circumstances. If everything is well, there's joy. But that can change quickly. This joy is, true joy is not produced nor detracted by circumstances. True joy endures because true joy is found in our Lord Himself. And then there's fading joy, fading joy. This is the joy that in many ways is available to all. God's common grace blessings, the fact that the sun is now shining. There's a a joy in that, but it fades because we live in Ohio. We know that. It'll fade by like four o'clock today. But this is also other blessings of common grace, talents, family, possessions, health. But yet the, the world and all the goodness it has to offer are not all that there is If you gain the world and you have not God, you have nothing. All this to say, folks, the source of our joy is to be God. He is really the only source of joy. And knowing that joy and learning to live in that joy has wonderful side effects in our life. Has wonderful side effects. Look at verse 3 of Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Folks, that right there is an effect of joy. We've had the love of God poured into our hearts as believers. And so that strengthens us to see how our suffering works to build us up, to shore up our character in Christ's likeness, because God's love is so apparent, and the joy that comes from that is so wonderful, it can overcome the pain and the suffering that we endure in trials. 
That joy helps us frame our trials. Here's the thing. Focusing on joy in God is something we literally ought to do. It's actually a command. Psalm 37.4, delight yourself in the Lord. Simple five words right there. Delight yourself in the Lord or take joy in the Lord. God isn't commanding this because he's vain. He's not commanding this out of, out of a selfish reason, but because he knows how much it matters that our souls are resting and relishing in the goodness and grace of God. Without that, we will fall prey to the ways of this world, to the, to, the, to the fleeting lights and shifting shadows. We will fall prey to them. Sam Storms put it this way. He said, the diabolical strategy of the enemy is to seduce us into believing that the world and the flesh and sinful self-indulgence could do for our weary and broken hearts what God couldn't. This is the battle that we face each day. We awaken to a world at war for the allegiance of our minds and the affections of our souls. The winner will be whoever can persuade us that he will bring greatest and most soul-satisfying joy. That is why we must labor and pray and strive so passionately and sacrificially for joy in Jesus. Folks, the world every day, Satan every day is saying, did not God say? And is lying to us and saying, this is actually where your joy is. Go here. And it will destroy us. It will wreck our hearts and our souls and our bodies. So this is another side effect of joy. Joy is protective. If your affections are set on the Lord and your joy is in Him, that will keep you from those fleeting pleasures of sin. Our hearts are going to delight and take joy in something. Okay, even if, you, even if you're a really melancholy person, you're still delighting in something. You just may not show it. But our hearts will naturally delight and take joy in something. It's just part of who we are. The heart will have something it takes joy in. And, and, and if we take joy in God and joy, the, the joy of Christ is full in us, that is a great fence around us protecting us from the false joys of sin. Thomas Chalmers, I, I would recommend you guys pick up this. You can find it online for free. His sermon, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's not a difficult read, but he writes this. The love of the world cannot be expunged or, or taken away by a mere demonstration of the world's worthlessness. So you can't, basically saying, you can't stop the love of the world by just saying the world is pathetic. That, that won't do it. But may it not be supplanted by the love of that which is more worthy than itself. The heart cannot be prevailed upon to part with the world by a simple act of resignation. Stop thinking about the world. Stop liking the, like that's not going to do it. But may not the heart be prevailed upon to admit into its preference another who shall subordinate the world and bring it down from its wanted ascendancy. So the principle is we, we can't just tell ourselves that the world, the flesh, etc. is bad. We have to see how it pales in comparison to who God is and to the blessings we have in Him. And this applies with joy. 
If we want to show the inadequacy of joy and sin, we cannot merely speak of that. We must show the utter and complete adequacy of joy in the Lord. So if, if you want to push out something, you have to fill your heart and your soul with something greater. Okay, does that make sense? Like if, if I tell you stop thinking of a pink elephant, every single one of you just pictured a pink elephant. But if I tell you to imagine the sunset that's glorious and the colors are full and you can see this rainbow and you can see just the, the beauty of the sky and the, the stars are starting to come out, what have you not thought about? A pink elephant. It takes something greater to push out that which is less. Further, Pursuing our joy in God, rejoicing in Him, boasting in Him, it's empowering. It's strengthening. In our world, in our day-to-day lives, we can encounter so much that is difficult and painful. We will see how fall short we fall and and how we don't measure up or we we don't gain certain things we wanted. We didn't get the promotion. We didn't get this or that. And that, that can be deflating in our lives. But getting and attaining things is not what the Christian life is all about. That's not what makes for a successful Christian life. One commentator wrote, Christians may have none of these and still know a profound sense of all happiness and well-being. Why is that? Because in knowing the forgiveness of the Lord, the certainty of His promises, and the sustaining presence of the Holy Spirit, we find these outward things to have no real significance. What matters is peace of conscience and fellowship with Jesus Christ, who calls us friends. And listen here, the relentless pursuit of pleasure apart from the gospel is a dead end, a cul-de-sac of despair. Just Remember that phrase, a cul-de-sac of despair is chasing after the pleasures of this world. Living for the things of this world, stuff that decays, is ultimately senseless and short-sighted as those who have found the soul-satisfying life of communion with Jesus Christ can testify. It's not in the things or in what people think about us or in all of those things that brings soul-satisfying joy. It's Jesus You know, Christians throughout the world who have literally nothing have the soul-satisfying joy in Jesus. Folks, it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. It's our delighting in Him, trusting in Him, boasting in Him, taking Him at His word. That strengthens us, empowers us in the midst of whatever we might be facing. Joy will do that. It's hard to endure when our joy is fleeting, uh, is in, in fleeting things, and those things fail. You cannot fight well in the doldrums. You can't. Something has to empower you to get out of that, and it's not your own strength, but it will be the joy of knowing you are loved, justified, saved, and that you will be glorified with Christ. That is the joy that lifts you and strengthens you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Our joy is glorying and resting in God and His works on behalf of His children. So then when you consider what this joy in the Lord does for the believer, folks, we have to learn to fight for joy. We have to learn to fight for joy. 
We have to learn how to grow in joy. This all matters very greatly. And there's very few people that I could turn to that are more passionate for the Lord and delighting in God than John Piper. He has taught me so much about delighting in God. He takes the first question of the catechism very seriously, and he adjusts it just a slight bit. Rather than man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, he says man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying Him forever. And in doing this, he encourages us to take joy in God. It, it was good for me to be refreshed in this during this week. It, it, it's easy to get distracted and overwhelmed or just pulled from what is best. And so seeing more how joy in the Lord, how delighting and rejoicing in Him is good, it was both convicting and encouraging to me this week. And I hope it sticks with me well beyond today. And in the back of Piper's book, Desiring God, He has an appendix that gives, as as he says, pointers in the work of uh, becoming a person of joy. Now, I'm not going to go over all those pointers because he has 15 of them, so we're not going to conclude with 15 points, but I'm going to try and kind of synthesize them a little bit, maybe add and adjust to what he wrote, but um, it's in the back of his book, and so we'll just go through, oh, maybe seven, I guess, I don't know. So first is to realize that joy is a gift the first thing. Realize that joy is a gift. We cannot muster up joy. We don't pull ourselves up by our joyous bootstraps, okay? We don't do that. Joy is a gift. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. It is a gift. But the second point is, along with it being a gift, is you have to fight for joy, relentlessly fight for joy. Paul worked and labored for the joy of those to whom he ministered. We've already gone over that. And with that then, third, we must fight against and attack and seek to kill, put to death, mortify any and all sin in our lives. Read Romans 6, 11 through 14, or Colossians 3, so many of these places. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you and put on Put on the fruit of the Spirit. Put on God's attributes. Put on those communicable attributes. Then fourth, we have to see God as He is. That's one of the reasons I went through the series that we did just before this, so we can see who our God is more clearly. Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. It's great to read that. You can go, I intellectually agree with that, but do you actually see it? It is one thing to say, yes, I can affirm that statement. It's another thing to say, I know that statement. I have tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. And to do this, folks, we have to meditate on His Word, because that's where we are going to know it. We we do that, and, and, and we do this in the context of the community. You will taste and see more of the goodness of the Lord as you do so in community, as you do so with other believers, and you've prayed for them, and you've seen how the Lord has worked in their lives, and you've seen them pray for you, and you've seen how the Lord has worked in your lives. You will see more of who He is as you meditate on His Word in community. This is where God has revealed himself. We see his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his kindness, his wisdom. And then sixth, I would say, pray for a heart inclined more towards God. Not a divided heart. Psalm 86, 11. Uh, 
Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. One that rejoices and is satisfied in him. Psalm 90, verse 14. Um, I should have this memorized, but I'm going to read it anyways here. So Psalm 90, 14. Great, great text. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. 30 days, pray that every single morning. Lord, satisfy me this morning with your steadfast love that I may rejoice and be glad all my days. John 16, 24, think think of that. We just went through that where Jesus said, yes, ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Pray and ask that God work this joy in you. And let me give just one more here. Learn to preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. Okay? So learn to preach to yourself rather than listen to yourself. And Piper references a quote of uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was the, called the good doctor, um, British preacher. He was, a, he was a former medical doctor as well. And from his book, he, he wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And, and this is the quote from it. He says, have, have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Do, do you realize that? So do you realize that most of your happiness, unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You've not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday and on and on and on. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment, he, he goes through Psalm 42 as part of this, the book. This man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing the self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I'm going to speak to you. And what he speaks is the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Listen to truth. Because those thoughts that can come up, they're not from God. Listen to truth. Speak truth to yourself. And if you need help, ask a friend in Christ to speak that truth to you. Because we need it. We need to speak that the joy of the Lord is our strength. That there's joy in the Lord through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's this joy that we consider in Advent. The deep, durable delight in the splendor of God that ruins us and I would say protects us from anything else. It's delight in the Lord who has come and the Lord who will come again. It's delight and rejoicing in Emmanuel, God with us and God for us. Let's pray. Father,
In some ways, it's hard to preach on joy because I know in my own life, joy is probably not the word that people would use to describe me all the time. So Lord, I pray for me, I pray for every person in this church that you would work joy in us that we would rejoice, rejoice that Emmanuel, God, is with us, that we have justification in Christ. We have peace. We have access. We have hope of the glory of God, that the love of God has been poured into the hearts of those who know you. Lord, may that joy, may that hope pervade our lives and direct us away from the fleeting pleasures of sin into the joy that is everlasting and unfading and kept in heaven for us and that is here for us today as your children, a joy that will never be taken away. May we tap into what is there. Work in us for your glory and for our good and joy. In Christ's name, amen.